Well, if you have your Bibles and you're in Acts chapter 9, this week we're going to get back into our series. It's titled The Light of Salvation. We're going to walk really through Acts chapter 9 all the way through 14, but we're not doing that in, in one week, clearly, as we are in week number 6 of our series, and we're just now reaching the end of chapter 9. But we will get through the end of chapter 9 today. So the title of this message this morning is The Power and Promise of Resurrection. The Power and Promise of Resurrection. So if you're there in Acts chapter 9, we're going to pick it up in verse 36 this, this morning, and we're going to pick up right where we kind of left off last week. Peter had gone to the town of, of Lydda, and, and there had been a miraculous healing of a man named Aeneas. He'd been, he'd been sick, right? He'd been suffering with some type of disease for eight years, had left him bedridden and paralyzed. And at the perfect moment, God used Peter to come and miraculously heal this man. And, and he did it at that exact moment for a greater purpose. As we talked about two weeks ago, as we looked at that text, we saw there in Acts chapter 9 that through that healing, Peter preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the Lord doesn't just heal one man physically, he heals a whole bunch of people spiritually, right? And brings them to life in Christ as they trust in him as their Savior, as their God. So this morning, we continue right on that. In verse 36, we read, Now, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in, into Greek, it's going from Hebrew to Greek there, Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Now, since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please, come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Now, in the, in the previous instance we looked at just two weeks ago, right, we, we saw how God demonstrated incredible power by physically healing Aeneas of whatever it was that had left him bedridden and paralyzed for, for eight years. There's clearly, if it goes for eight years, the doctors don't know what to do, Right? There's no solutions. Oh, you just got to try this thing. It was a situation that needed the power of God, and God demonstrated his power by bringing healing to him. But in this situation, God works very differently, doesn't he? He doesn't send Peter over to heal Tabitha when she falls ill. Rather, she dies, and the people there are, are mourning her death. Right? They're greatly saddened as they experience the sting of that reality, the loss that we all feel whenever we today experience this same thing in our fallen world. Look, this is the result of the curse of humanity being impacted by sin, that death comes to all of us eventually. None of us are physically immortal. No matter how healthy we try to eat, no matter how much we work out, no matter how much we avoid toxins or sickness or dangerous situations, eventually, no matter how good we are at all those things, eventually we all die. These physical bodies eventually give out. And the longer that you and I live, the more time we spend upon this earth, I think the more we begin to feel the present reality setting in in us, right? Like, I, I didn't know when I was younger it would be possible to hurt myself by sleeping wrong. Right? Just laying in the wrong position for a while. It did not happen when I was Tobias age, I tell you. But it happens now. I wake up, and it's like, and it's all day, right? Sometimes multiple days. Like, what, what happened, hon? I just slept wrong, you know? Like, I don't know. There's no answer beyond that. Look, the reality of living in this broken world and these fallen bodies that are decaying is that mortality and death 
come eventually to all of us. And here in this text, we see that comes for Tabitha and her friends respond to that reality the way you respond to the reality of death. They're mourning. They are reminded we live in a broken world. They're sad. They're, they're feeling the, the conflict of the fact that this is not how it should be, but this is how it currently it is. I think pondering death a little bit is something we should do more in our culture. It's something that needs to set in a little more to the American mindset than it really does. Because the reality is death we, is something that we try to avoid having to deal very deeply with. It's not that we don't ever deal with death. We just don't deal with it deeply. You understand the difference? We, we live in this really weird moment, I think, in history. Where we see and are exposed to hearing about or watching even death take place mediated through media constantly. Right? But we don't deal with it personally in a physical way very much, which is very different from much of history. We hear about more people dying than someone living a few hundred years ago ever would have heard about, but they had seen more death physically than many of us ever will in our lifetime. So we watch TV shows and, and we see people die all the time on a TV show, right? And sometimes we feel like, oh, we're really torn up because they've invested a lot in the story of that character and you really feel that, that tension, right? Like, I, I haven't watched the show. I can't remember the name of the show, but I know there was an incident with a crock pot and a guy dying. Anybody know what I'm talking about from? No? Okay. Malia watches this show and if I mention the crock pot getting faulty, it starts a fire and one of these characters die and she's like all broken up. She gets all teary. Anyway. Not your show either. I can't remember the name of the show now. Anyway, but we watch and we see death, and sometimes we feel a lot for it, and other times it doesn't even phase us at all, right? Like if you go to watch any of the, the big action films, right, you will see dozens, if not hundreds, sometimes thousands in the big Marvel films, right, of, of death portrayed on screen, and it, you don't even bat an eye, you don't even think about it, right? Like, of course, the superheroes are fighting, big battle, you know, and it's like a zombie thing, so we don't have to feel bad about the zombie thing, right? They're just ripping them all apart, and it's like, you see that death, but it doesn't register. It doesn't, you don't feel the reality of that. I mean, we even see this, not just in movies, but we see this, I think, through the way media treats death, too, especially, think about how the COVID-19 pandemic was handled, right? Real people were getting really sick and really dying. That was a reality in the world, but the way we heard about that was through a ticker counting up on a news channel or a website, right? And so that number's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and eventually, death is abstracted through all of that. And you're not thinking about thousands of people who have really died. You're just thinking that number's getting larger and larger and larger. And probably that means more mandates. Probably that means this or this. And we don't feel the reality of death, right? I think the worst part of all of it is uh, in video games, right? Where if you've, if you've played video games, especially anything that's kind of an action game or, or a war game, and you're going out and you're, you're killing, and it's just kind of part of, of the game, and then you die, and what does that mean? It's just reset. I just start over again. Like, there's no weight to that. I mean, maybe you had gotten to a certain point and you got to go back and start the last checkpoint, but, but that's it. That's, that's the consequence of death mediated through a video game is just reload. So we see death, we're exposed to death, but we don't really think rightly about death. We don't feel the weight of death through those mediums at all. But the reality is that death is a very weighty thing. Unlike how movies or games or even the news portray it, no death is a simple thing that should be treated casually. It should have an impact on us when someone dies. The end of a human life physically is the result, as I've said, of brokenness in this world, the result of the curse being present, the reality that sin is real and serious, and there's consequences to that. 
People dying is not a thing that we should be comfortable with because death is an enemy that we should hate, a reality that we should long to see changed. So we should be moved in our thinking when we hear of people dying. We should be concerned. We should be motivated by the reality when we hear of a death that, yes, this life really is short, that death does come quickly, that the mission you and I have been entrusted with of sharing the gospel can only be done to someone who's alive and breathing, and that is a counting clock. We're going to come back to that thought at the end, so let it sink into your heart and your mind. Here in Acts 9, we find these are real people. We don't ever want to read the Bible like it's just a storybook. Like it's just, just a, something being conveyed for our entertainment. This is real lives, real people. And so these real people there in Acts 9 feel the weight in Joppa. These friends feel the weight of their death of their very real friend, Tabitha, who dies. She's not just a name or a number. She's a real person who they knew and cared about. And so they feel that loss deeply. And so they're there in their mourning and they hear that Peter is nearby about three hours journey by by foot away. And they send someone, go get Peter and ask him to come. Now, personally, I think they've asked Peter to come to just minister to them. I think they're asking him to come to speak about the peace of God, the promise of the Christian faith to help comfort and console them there and lead them in the proper burial of this Christian woman. Because what we find in the Bible is we don't know of a church formally established there in Joppa. Clearly there's believers, but we've never heard of a church being established there and built up in a a formal way. There's no record of that in the Bible. I find no record of it in church history at this point. So I think it's very possible they don't have a pastor to fill this role, but they hear Peter is nearby and they say, let's have Peter come and minister to us in our time of hurt and grief, right? A very natural, understandable impulse. So Peter arrives, and there's this scene of great sorrow and sadness there, but God, in his incredible sovereignty and him working through all these things, does what I don't think anyone was expecting to take place there. He uses the opportunity of this woman's death for a greater purpose. Look at verses 40 and 41. So Peter, having arrived, put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And after praying, this is the faith of Peter, the leading of the Lord, turns to the body and he says, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up and he gave her his hand and raised her up. And then calling all the saints and widows, he presented her alive. What God does here through Peter is truly incredible, right? But I think the reason it's incredible to most of us is is kind of at a surface level of incredible because we understand this just doesn't happen very much, right? A physical raising from the dead is just incredible, and we don't want to stay there today. I want us to go a little deeper into why this is so incredible and what this really communicates to us and how it should build up our faith. But on the surface, it is incredible because there's only a handful of times, if you know your Bible, that, that this takes place where God's power is at work and a dead person is raised to life. You can find this three times in the Old Testament. It takes place mainly with the ministry of Elijah and Elisha, 1 Kings 17, 2 Kings 4, and 2 Kings 13. You can read about these dead bodies coming to life there. Incredible events. Then three times in the ministry of Jesus, we saw him raising someone from the dead to life, right? In Luke 7, you know the story of the son of the widow was raised to life by Jesus. In John 11, Jesus raises his friend Lazarus 
from the dead, right? And then in Mark 5, we read the account that actually most parallels what we see here, the account where Peter saw what Jesus did in that account as he raised a little girl, the daughter of uh, Jairus, from the dead. He follows that pretty much exact same pattern here of putting everyone else out, praying to the Father, and then giving this command of rising. This is what we see in Mark 5, but three times we see that with the ministry of Jesus. Three times we see that in the Old Testament. Now we see it here with Peter, and once later we'll see it with the Apostle Paul. Eight times we have individual raising from the dead types of narrative communicated to us in the scripture. That's not a lot. I mean, it's incredible that it would happen even once, but that's not a lot. This is a great display of God's power, isn't it? But rather than just be amazed at the fact that God has the power to bring a body from death to life, there's something deeper here. This is what I want us to see. Because that raising from the dead of those individuals, as incredible as it was, as miraculous as it was, were only temporary restorations of life. Eventually, these people died again. He's restored their life in that moment, but then they're not still here today. They went on and they lived, and we don't know how many more years they lived, but eventually they went the way all of us do, and they faced death. So while what we see here with Tabitha is incredible, it's miraculous, it's awe-inspiring, what we need to do today is, as we think about this encounter with Tabitha, we need to push a little bit deeper and look not just in awe at the God who has the power to restore life, but towards what God was doing through choosing to restore this woman to life in that moment, right? He had a greater purpose, a greater plan that was unfolding. Here's what I want us to do. When Today, we should look at this and look beyond this temporary resurrection of physical life to the power and promise of true resurrection to eternal life. This event is, is a shadow of something greater that you and I should see. What takes place with Tabitha shouldn't be minimized, shouldn't be dismissed. It truly was an incredible display of God's power, wonderful gift of God's grace to restore this woman to life and to those loved ones who were mourning there, right? Their, their sorrow turned to joy as she is there alive again to serve them and live with them. But if all we do is see that power, we will miss the greater purpose of true resurrection that God wants us to see. See, those eight instances that are recorded in Scripture are all pretty incredible accounts, but they're actually not even the same as the greatest resurrection that takes place, what we celebrated last week, right? The resurrection of Jesus is substantially different than those eight other restorations of temporary life that took place because Jesus, in his resurrection, not just came back to life, came back to eternal life. He never died again. He will never die again. His resurrection was not just death being beaten back for a little bit so one could live a little longer. His resurrection was death being fully conquered and defeated altogether. So like I said two weeks ago, as we looked at the, the healing of Aeneas, and we said, okay, we have a God who has the power to heal. We have a God who can heal, who does heal. We should pray for healing. I said, in that time, though, we should not just see physical healings even physical raisings from the dead, as the end result of what we need from God. He's a God who does something greater than just those things. He can heal 
any and every sickness. There's no disease that God is unable to fully cure, to remove entirely from a person in a moment. He can eradicate cancer. He can heal broken bones without casts. He can remove infections. He can restore functionality to damaged organs. He can even bring, as we saw, the dead back to life. His power is not limited by our experiences. It's not limited by our faith, by our understanding, by the laws of science or technology. He's the God with all power over all things. So we should pray to him, bring him those needs, expect him to do incredible things, but, but understand this morning, what God is at work primarily doing in this world is not just physical. He's not just concerned to heal the sick, to restore physical abilities, to prolong physical lives. God's work in this world is primarily focused upon the soul, bringing spiritual life to people through faith in Christ. That's his primary work. That's his primary focus and concern. So that should be our primary focus and concern. We have to avoid making physical things primary in our lives. Health, as I said two weeks ago, is not the most important thing. Healing from sickness and disease are not the things you need most from God or your neighbor needs most from God. We can pray for those things. We should pray for those things. Believe God does bring healing, especially when we see suffering in this broken world. We should ask God with faith to bring healing, but we should not just pray, heal them and be done. Heal them, we should pray, and do the greater work. That's what our focus needs to be. There's something more important than the physical we have to keep in mind. Wealth, physical possessions are not the most important thing in life. To seek to build a strong financial posture, to have great possessions accumulated and well cared for, those are not the primary goals of Christian stewardship. We should trust God to meet our needs. We should live wisely and intentionally with what he gives us. Absolutely, huge fan of budgeting. But we should always bring our desires and our needs to God in prayer, expecting him to be the one who will provide. Not ourselves, not our wisdom, not our abilities. There's something much more important than the physical that we need to keep in mind. God's work in this world is primarily focused upon the soul, bringing spiritual life to people through faith in Christ. And I say that with absolute confidence from this text because of how this spectacular event of the physical resurrection, physical restoration of Tabitha from death to life is used by God for a greater spiritual purpose right here in Acts 9. The whole point of healing Aeneas and then restoring Tabitha from death was never to teach people who trust in Christ. You will always get healed from sickness. You will always get to see a restoration of life and have a long life here on earth. Those are not the promises God makes. That's not the work God is doing. Instead, God uses the physical healing and this raising of Tabitha to bring about spiritual life in the souls of those who will respond to the gospel and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verses 42 and 43. So it became known throughout all Joppa, And many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed then in Joppa for many days with one Simon a tanner. This was the result. Many people coming to faith, belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the work that God was intending to do primarily there through raising this woman from the dead. Many other people died in Joppa. He rose one. Why? So through that act, the proclamation of the gospel would go forward and many would come to spiritual life. That's the ultimate result of why Christ died and why Christ rose from the dead. As we celebrated last week, the resurrection of Jesus brings spiritual life and the promise of a true resurrection to eternal life in the future to all who trust in Jesus. 
So this is what's so important, most important for us to focus upon and see and experience personally. To know the resurrection of power ourselves in this way. To be focused upon proclaiming that to the people in our circles here and investing in supporting that work around the world too. Like I've said before, we should look at an event like this and we should think about death in a real and sober way and it should be motivating for us. The reality that time is short on this earth. People are dying. The message that we have to share can only be shared in a limited window of time. So here's the big idea, the application today for us is this. You and I, as Christians, we are to be concerned most of all, not with the physical, but with spiritual life and health. We should be most concerned with seeing souls raised from spiritual death and given the promise of eternal life in the future. That's what should be primary in our minds. That's what should be driving us in our lives. That should lead us to being willing to to get past the physical challenges, even sometimes to risk physical health, to spend our physical time and our energies to go and share the message of eternal life with others. I mean, that, that this is the motivation for us to care about the soul, to care about the spiritual health and life of others, so much so that we won't let the physical things hold us back. I mean, our friends are going to a place where if you heard in Sunday school and heard what they mentioned in the video, is, is probably going to include danger to them. It's going to be costly physically to go and minister to these people. Why would they go and do that? Because these people are unreached. They need the gospel. They have a great deal of other needs physically too. And they'll meet those as a way of of letting God use those things to proclaim the gospel message because their ultimate goal is the spiritual life and health of those people in Ecuador. That's the goal. That's the, the focus. So you and I should have that same commitment in our lives here as we live in this place that we live with the people that need to hear the gospel all around us. And we should have this approach when we think about how we are going to use our resources as well. To invest our resources well means to put them into this mission of seeing the gospel spread and disciples made, both locally here, that's why we exist as a church, and to go and reach people on other continents too. To invest in the grand results so that we can see people from every tribe and language and nation one day worshiping God around the throne. The reality we're, we're headed towards, the whole reason that God has created us, we get to be a part of that, investing in that here and now. So that one day that praise that will echo on forever and ever and ever will be something you and I sowed ourselves into here and now. Look, there's an incredible promise with the resurrection regarding life and health. It's this. When we have spiritual life, when our souls experience the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ, his power right now, it brings us from a natural state of spiritual death to life. It moves us from enmity towards God to being adopted as sons and daughters of God. It moves us from being objects of wrath to being deeply beloved of the Father. And when God saves us through us simply having faith in Jesus Christ, not us earning it, not us buying it, not deserving it in some way, when by his grace he saves us through faith, then the grand promise of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that you and I too will experience 
resurrection to eternal life one day. Not just physical healings, not just temporary restorations of life. It's much greater. One day we get true resurrection to eternal life beyond this physical realm. Just as Jesus rose from the dead and he himself is alive forevermore, one day after we experience the reality of death ourselves, we feel the sting of death ourselves, one day Jesus will raise us up to true life. And in eternity, all will be well. All will be perfect. The health that we long for is full and complete there. Sin will be no more. Sickness and disease will be gone. Death itself will be eternally destroyed. So we have in this message, in this promise given to us, something great to proclaim to others. There is a true power and promise of resurrection for those who receive Jesus Christ in this life here and now. And we have the message to proclaim. So as the worship team comes this morning, we're going to prepare to respond and to be made ready for the coming days ahead of us. How many ever those may be and whatever those may hold. If you've never submitted your heart to Christ, you've never experienced a saving power, then today's certainly an invitation for you to come. What Christ offers is eternal life. It's life beyond this physical reality that will end. Because he rose from the dead as the first of all who would trust in him. And today, if you believe in him as the son of God who died for your sins, who will save all who trust in him, and you will place your hope, your trust, your reliance in him, not in anything else, then you too can experience the power and be given the promise of the true resurrection today. And as I've said for the last several weeks, we want to think well about this time and use this time of response well. So for those of us in this room who are Christians, this time is for us too. All right, the altars are not just for receiving salvation. The altars are not just for, I've got a really important need that I've got to come up and get dealt with. They're for all of us, for any need, for every need that we may have. This is a chance for us to, to repent perhaps of sins that we haven't dealt with this week, finding his forgiveness anew in this place to come to God and ask him for help, for strength, for wisdom, to obey him, to grow more like him, to have our life shaped so that we would bring him more glory. It's a chance for us to come and lay down our needs, the ones that we've been carrying around with us all week long, knowing we really can't get it done, but not knowing where to leave them here today. We can leave them with God who invites us to do that because he cares for us that much. So this time is response time and it's, it's readying time. Having heard what, what God is saying to us through his word, now we have the opportunity to be made ready for what lies ahead of us in this coming week. So let's take these few moments to respond and get ready this morning. The altars are open for everyone, for anyone, for every need, for any need. Let's respond to the Lord this morning in worship, in prayer, and in laying down whatever it is we're carrying today to him.